We're in Romans chapter 12 tonight, and uh, I want to share a little story about a missionary to Uganda, actually one of, the, one of the early missionaries to Uganda. In 1878, Scotsman Alexander McKay arrived in what is now Uganda. Of course, back then it wasn't. It was the kingdom of Buganda. And uh, by the way, Arthur uh, Kabugo, who runs Hope Home, he's Bugandan. He's part of the Bugandan tribe. Well, at the time that, that Scotsman Alexander McKay arrived in the kingdom of Buganda, King Mutesa was the king. And everybody was very curious about this white man who arrived, and he set up a blacksmith's forge. You see, originally, Alexander McKay wanted to be a minister like his father, but instead he ended up in an engineering school in Germany. And there he learned uh, a lot about engineering and making roads and things of that sort. And after he finished, he decided that he wanted to be a road maker for the gospel. That was what his goal was. And that's what put him there in the kingdom of Buganda. Well, as he began making tools, farming tools and things of that sort, Villagers gathered around as this stranger was working with his hands because at that time the men of the Bugandan tribe did no work. What the men did was they went and raided other villages and captured slaves and the women and the slaves are the ones who did all the work. And so they thought this was quite strange for this white man, this Mazungu, to be doing this work with his hands. By the way, Mzungu means white wanderer. And if you go to Uganda today and you're kind of in a village area and they see you going through, you'll, they'll start yelling, Mzungu. You'll see kids like all of a sudden, it's almost like they're like shocked like they saw a ghost. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, and so, so as they watched Alexander McKay work and do these things, they were just intrigued all the more. Well, this led to an audience with the king. And when, when uh, he went before King Mutesa, uh, there he was given this audience with the king, and it wasn't just him alone. Actually, at the same time, an Arab slave trader came in to meet with the king as well. As the Arab slave trader came in, uh, McKay was just finishing up a Bible reading to the king. See, he was sharing Matthew 3 3 with King Mutesa, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way ye the way of the Lord. And he was challenging King Mutesa about preparing his people for, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and what that was going to take. And so this Arab slave trader came in and set before the king uh, weapons, rifles, and set before him beautiful clothing, articles of clothing, and offered to trade uh, these gifts for his people. Well, McKay interrupted the trade and challenging the king that this would not prepare the way for the Lord. In fact, this would do quite the opposite the king would be giving over his people to be beaten and chained and left on ships and taken to foreign lands, and that his people were better off if he left them here and said no to the Arab slave trader. Well, the Arab slave trader was not happy. In fact, he wanted to plant a heart 
in, or dagger in his, the heart of McKay, he, and he was dismissed, and he was angry about it. But with that meeting, King Matessa ended the slave trade among the Bugandan people. Now, why am I telling you all this as we get into Romans 12? Well, we left off with, with Paul telling us to uh, not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed with the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. And this, this evening as we get into the rest of chapter 12, we are giving some practical uh, understanding and teaching about how we as Christians are going to behave among the people of God and the church of God. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifting. And I think it's important to see that McKay, who uh, was not a minister but an engineer, God used greatly to change a king and move a king to prepare a people to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll get into that tonight as we go. But let's go to verse 3 of chapter 5. Actually, I'm sorry, let me pray first and then, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time together. And we ask, Lord, that now you would teach us, give us understanding. And Lord, I pray that uh, tonight as, we, as you teach the body of believers here, Lord, may we be spurred on toward faith and good works in your name. Lord, may we not be idle. But we, may we recognize uh, that you've called us, you've gifted us, and now we're ready to be uh, servants of your people. So use us mightily, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 3 of chapter 12, we pick up with, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I'm going to stop there as we start to break down what Paul is saying. And as he starts to challenge the body of believers in Rome... He uses this term through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you. Now, I want to just stop there and focus on that idea, the grace given to me. What is Paul talking about? Well, certainly we recognize the grace given to us is obviously salvation. We experience God's grace. But I think in this context what Paul is actually speaking about is his gifting, his gifting of teaching. Because we're going to see this show up. Uh, just in the next section of this passage as he speaks about grace given to us. And we're actually going to get into a term tonight, charisma, and uh, where uh, that, that is the word that he uses for gifts, for spiritual gifting, and it comes from a combination of the word grace. Uh, charis is the word grace, and he puts it together with charisma and calls it gifts, okay? And so specifically as Paul is opening up here or moving on in verse 3, he says, I say through the grace given to me, I'm, I'm using my gift that God has given to me to educate you, to everyone among you. And the first thing he says is 
do not think, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. First thing we're going to say is you're nothing special. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I, what, what Paul is saying is don't boast in yourself. Not, not only don't boast in yourself, but don't start looking at others as greater and lesser. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Because that grace that God has extended to you, that faith that he has extended to you, that he has given to you, that's not something for you to go around boasting about like you're something special. It's actually something to be humble about, to, to be humble before God. That, wow, Lord, I've been forgiven much and I'm going to love much. Lord, use me. May I glorify you. I'm, I'm not going to go around boasting to myself, telling it, it's my way or the highway to people. I'm not going to be lifting myself up. No, God, I want to magnify you. And so he says, think of yourself soberly. I like that word, soberly. We only use it usually in one context, uh, and that's the idea of someone who's been under the influence of be it a drug or alcohol or inebriated by some way, and, and we say that they're not sober. And then those who have given up drinking and given up drugs, we say they've been sober for so long. But the idea is still the same here that Paul is using, clear-minded. Have, have a clear thought about what, 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 what yourself, okay? And clear thought means like, wow, God, you've given me this measure of faith. I've got nothing, nothing to boast in. And so he says in verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And now he gives us an illustration here of a body with members. And we've maybe seen this before in Corinthians, uh, if you've read Corinthians, because he talks about this also spiritual gifting in Corinthians, and he uses that same illustration. But the idea here is the finger doesn't boast in itself how great I am as an index finger. Oh, you dumb pinky. What good are you? I'm so much more important. But rather the fingers together working as one work out really swell, right? They work great together. And, and for us to lose any of our digits is quite a loss, right? Uh, in fact, we have to relearn how to live when we lose anything. And so Paul is saying, like, how can a member boast in itself uh, and lift itself up. No, you're members of one body. Uh, and, and guess what? Those members do not have the same function. So if you say, oh, I don't know if I'm gifted by the Lord. I certainly can't teach like the pastor. Well, that's good. We're gifted with different functions. I, I see the praise team up here all the time, and I'm like, man, that is just amazing how you guys use your gifts to lead us in worship. Love it. I'm, I'm just so, so blessed by it, how, how God has gifted you so that you can minister to the body. And still others' gifts, uh, are, are there's so many more gifts which we'll get into today, but all of which is to edify 
the body, to be part of the, the body, uh, the members of one another. So we want to be careful that we do not judge others by the measure of grace that God has given to us. And as we see the diversity of the many, it accompanies the unity of the body. We should look at the diversity and rejoice that God has such diversity in the body and that he uses it all to bring about unity, one body. So think soundly about yourself and evaluate properly God's gifts and their uses. Now, I want to say this. You should be evaluating yourself the way God has gifted you and the uses that you can use those for to glorify him. Now, I, I think there's different types of gifts. There's gifts that God has just bestowed upon us and he's gifted us with and, and, and sometimes they even almost seem somewhat naturally natural, these spiritual gifts. And so other gifts come on us for a time, you know. And, and so you might be in a, in a place where, man, I really want to share the gospel Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And, and you don't feel yourself to be a preacher or an evangelist, but, but you're just praying and asking God, give me the ability to do this. And then all of a sudden it comes upon you. And it may not be eloquent. I mean, Paul said his, of his own speech, I'm not eloquent <laughs> like when I teach. But, but you know what it is? It's the right words. And it comes with power because the Holy Spirit has enabled it that you might have that gift. So we go into verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. There it is again, that grace. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So having then gifts, and this is what I was saying earlier, this word gift comes from charis. The root word there is charis, ending with uh, M-A-ma, which is the result of something. So what Paul is saying is this is the revolt, result of grace in your life, these gifts. Because God has given you his grace, he, the result is gifts, gifts to be used to edify the body and uh, magnify him, uh, his kingdom. And so, uh, so Paul says, according to his grace, you've been given these, okay? So uh, when we think about according to the grace of God, it's not something we choose, okay? It's something that God decides. He gives, okay? And, and he calls, so we're not going out saying, God, I need this gift. I mean, there's times when we might pray for the ability to do something, and we'll either see that God will equip us or bring somebody with that equipping. We may not always have that same gift, but this is not something that you go and learn. You go to a speaking in tongues class, and you're going to learn how to speak in tongues. It's not, at all. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture, this idea of, learning how to do this or learning how to exercise these gifts. Uh, I mean, certainly I believe there's an aspect of sharpening our gifts as we, as we use them in the body. But uh, some of the, as Chuck Smith would uh, call them, charismania groups, uh, would, would, uh, they, they put an overemphasis on these things and it's, it results in just chaos, 
And so let's look at these gifts here that, that Paul lists out. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, uh, there is two groups among evangelicals. Uh, well, there's actually more than two, but there's always more than two. But I'm going to reduce it down to two uh, among Protestant evangelical. There's cessationists and uh, those are uh, continuists. And it's those who believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased at the end uh, or the close of the writing of the New Testament. And so that they are not for today. And then there, there are those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today and, and meant to be exercised within the church. I wonder if you can guess what Calvary Chapel is. We believe the gifts are still for today, okay? Uh, we we ac- absolutely want you to exercise your gifts. And, of course, obviously with order as Paul instructs. So we're not going to just have chaos within the sanctuary. But we want you to use your gifts because we believe those gifts are given by God. Now, if you are in this room and you're a cessationist, hey, God bless you, brother. We're, we can still be brothers. You can think what you think. Uh, I don't mind. I'm glad you got it all figured out. Uh, but as for me, if people have gifts, I want them to use them. <laughs> That's how I feel about it uh, because they're a blessing to the church. And those who have certain gifts, uh, they really bless the church. And so when it talks about prophecy here, it means prophecy. Now, not prophecy in the sense of the Old Testament where an Old Testament prophet would speak to the whole community of people as a word from the Lord and as a instruction from the Lord, but prophecy in the narrow sense of the body of believers. So prophecy in a way that would be uh, sharing with maybe the local body of the church or a small group or an individual as people are seeking the Lord and trying to understand what we should do next or maybe God gives a vision or a dream to someone and they want to come and share it with with uh, the, the church or parts of the church or the leadership of the church. And so 1 Corinthians 14.3, we read, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And that's what pro- the gift of prophecy is for. For edification, the building up, for the exhortation, the encouragement, and comfort to men. Uh, obviously that comfort comes from uh, God speaking to his people and uh, encouraging. Now, uh, there are those who go around prophesying. And they say, oh, I have a word from the Lord. And they just give you this word. But you don't know if it's true. And so when you get a word from the Lord, you can say, first of all, does it measure up with Scripture? Or is it contradictory to Scripture? If it's contradictory to Scripture, you know it's not from the Lord. Okay, period. You already know. It's not from the Lord. Now, uh, if they say, hey... I want, uh, the Lord has spoken and you're to move to uh, Niger, Niger, uh, and you should do it next year, by next year. Uh, I would say, okay, well, thank you. I'll pray about that. And if the Lord confirms it with me, I'll be faithful and do it. Okay? You understand that? So it shouldn't be, there are prophets today, or people, so-called prophets in churches that go around telling their congregations, do this, do that, do that. Oh, the Lord has spoken, I need a new car. All right? <laughs> the Lord has spoken, I need this. I need, a, I need at least three more rings on this hand, you know. Oh, you know, this, this hand is, is not as, at the same weight as this one, so i got to balance it. Whatever, I don't know. They say all sorts of stuff. You'll even see this show happen where... 
as preachers are preaching, you'll, you'll see them go, what's that, Lord? Okay. Okay, Lord, thank you. All right, let's continue. Right? It's just terrible showmanship that is, uh, it's not at all, all it is is lifting up the individual and not magnifying God at all. In fact, to me, it's a disgrace. Uh, so those are people that you should have nothing to do with uh, and shouldn't listen to them. Listen, if someone has a prophecy, they'll share it. They share it with the pastor, uh, share it with the elder, share it with the church, and uh, then c- let it be confirmed. So uh, Paul says, uh, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now verse 7 says, or ministry. And so if someone has the gift of ministry, let us use it in our ministering. Well, what does ministry mean? Well, in a practical sense, it means service, just serving. Some of you have a gift of service. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as a gift of helps. And you just love to be that person, be it washing dishes or changing diapers. It just God has so gifted you with that ability to go and do those things, and you do them Unto the Lord, meaning that, that you allow moms to come in here and hear the word and hear God and be taught and, and encouraged and edified and exhorted. Well, you're over there changing diapers. You know, you've let, given a safe place for a mom to leave her child so she can care for you. Uh, or care for, so she can hear the word. Ministering. The deacons in our church do this. The deaconesses do this. As they deaconesses, they they go to they put on the uh, memorial services for those who are grieving and mourning. Uh, they the deacons have you know they put out hospitality for the church on a regular basis on Sunday. It's just a gift of ministry. They just love to help, and they can't wait to be a part of it. Uh, we have those who cook breakfast for bold or cook breakfast for the women's ministry, and you can just see it. It's just an exercise of the gift that God has given to them. It's an act of their grace. And by the way, a gift of ministry is just as important as a gift of prophecy. No one should look at one and the other because I'll tell you right now, if you only had preachers and you had no ministers, nothing would ever get done, right? Uh, It just wouldn't happen. And, and, of course, the preacher couldn't focus on teaching. He'd have to focus on other things. So it says, uh, he who teaches in teaching. Obviously, there's another gift there, teaching the word of God. He who exhorts in exhortation. This is that encouragement, uh, a ministry of encouragement. Now, this is an important one, and I think maybe some of you uh, may have this gift, but you don't even realize it. Or, or maybe you've been using this gift, and I say do so all the more. But that gift of exhortation is that encouragement that people always need. And, and even more specifically, it's an encouragement for people to use their gifts. Okay, I, I had this uh, one time with Dottie Moore. She, she came up to me, and I, I didn't even realize uh, uh, that I had this gift. I, I just kind of... For me, it was just something so natural that I kept exercising it, and then I would get frustrated because the church, or like some of the church leaders or whatever wasn't on board, and it was like, how can you not see this? This is so, uh, uh, like, this is what we need to do. And uh, so I, I, would, uh, I would always have these 
kind of this idea of where we should go and what we should be doing. And I would present it to, to a group and the group would just like be like, no, we can't do it because of this. And I'm like, what? I don't even understand why you're saying no. This is such a good idea. Uh, and there's no reason to say no. And so Dottie Moore comes up to me one Wednesday night, and this is years ago. And she says, Pastor Dave, our visionary pastor, God has given you a gift of vision. And you can use it to just encourage the church. And it was like all of a sudden at that moment, I realized, oh, here I am judging everyone because I can't get on board. But it's a gift that God has given me. And with that gift, he's given me the ability to say, hey, let me help bring people on board. I can't go around saying, hey, because I have a gift, everyone else should have this gift. Everyone should sing like the praise team, right? No, yeah. That, that, uh, everyone should be able to teach or everyone should, should have this ministry or this gift. That happens a lot of time. Everyone should have the gift of evangelism. No, we're all called to evangelism, but there are those who have a gift of evangelism. And sometimes when we have our gifts, we start to look down on others when they don't get on board or they're not excited. Okay, and we don't want to do that. That's, remember, this is about um, not thinking of ourselves sober-minded. I'll tell you that that night after Dottie spoke to me, it was like all of a sudden everything came into place. That I was like, I didn't even realize. Now I know. And it changed the way I, I, I was uh, sharing vision with people. And, and I, I wasn't so hurt every time <laughs> that people were like, wouldn't get on board. So, uh, and it's been, it's been a real blessing. But some have that gift of exhortation where they will come alongside and encourage in such a way that it just, it, it hits home and it is uplifting and it encourages you to go and use those gifts. And we need those in the church. We need people who have that ability to spot gifts and encourage us to use them. He who gives with liberality... And this is a gift too, giving, tithing, uh, uh, resources. Now, we all know that, that God has called us to give over uh, our finances to him. Now, we recognize that the Old Testament standard is a tenth, 10%. The New Testament doesn't have a standard because we're not under the law. And actually what we see in the New Testament is the tenth is the starting place. And, and as we grow in the Lord and as we get our finances in order and all these things, really what we want to do is just be cheerful givers to God. But there are some who have a gift where God just bestows resource after resource after resource upon. And man, do they love to give away their resources. And it's incredible to see how they give away those resources to build up the kingdom of God. So if you have a gift of giving, do it with liberality. He who leads, do it with diligence. Don't be a, don't be a slouch about it. If God has given you a gift of leadership, be diligent about it. Because certainly in the church we need leaders. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the gift of showing mercy is caring for those in need, okay, or those who are hurting. Sometimes those who are hurting are taxing upon us, right? I know we're not supposed to say that, but it's true. Come on. 
Have you ever been walking through the church courtyard or here on Sunday night and you're just tired and you know someone who's just taxing and you kind of like scoot over here, maybe talk, take this route. Anybody ever done that before? They, they just, okay, well, listen, what, what the text is saying here, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we should do that. And by the way, if, if I'm walking, I'm not avoiding anybody. I just sometimes get focused, so just so we're clear. <laughs> I just realized how that sounded. <laughs> now everybody's like, are you avoiding me tonight? <laughs> Sorry for being so, no. But, but the fact is, is sometimes when people are needy and we're tired, we can do stuff almost with a critical spirit. Uh, and so Paul encourages those who have that gift of mercy, that they show mercy to others. They love to go out of their way for others. Do it with cheerfulness. Don't allow that gift of mercy to be spoiled by a critical spirit or that ability to say, oh, <laughs> I just, <laughs> man, I want to avoid them. Because I'll tell you this, those who have that gift of mercy, you know, not only can they see the hurting like other people can't. They, they just have a way of honing in and seeing someone who's hurting and going and speaking to them uh, where others just don't see. And they can minister to them. But they need to do it with cheerfulness. That the Lord has brought this person before me that I can minister mercy to them. And so, so we see that wonderful gift of mercy. Now these aren't all the gifts that Paul lists here. You can read about others in the book of Romans. But for tonight we got to move on because I've got to get through this part. Or I'd like to get through this passage. I don't have to. But verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. This is a whole list of how we should conduct ourselves, not only in the world, but especially within the church. So this is the Christian conduct here. Uh, and when, when we come across a list of Christian conduct, sometimes it takes time to process. That, that You might not get it all tonight, but certainly there might be something that sticks out to you that you say, wow, that's not me. Uh, that is definitely not something that marks my life as a born-again believer. So let's look at this. Let love be without hypocrisy. All right. Well, that whole idea of hypocrisy is uh, putting on an act. Okay. Uh, it, it, the word comes from a, a, a actor within a play, and the actor puts on a character, and that's they're acting that way. But they're not genuinely showing love. They're acting it out. And the whole idea here is that love should be genuine from us. We should genuinely love one another, uh, but not with hypocrisy. Uh, and sometimes we have a hard time with that because sometimes we don't feel super loving, right? It's just the way we are as people, fallen, and the closer we go to Christ, grow to Christ, the better we get at loving others. But that's where we have to uh, 
wait on the Lord and say, Lord, I need, I want to be more loving. I want to be more like you. And guess what God will do? He'll send you more people to love. Right? It's like praying for patience. Lord, I want to be, I want to learn patience. Well, that's what I'm teaching you right now. So, but love should be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Wow. That's really the heart of the believer. We should not at all play around with things that are evil, but we should just totally reject it. We should reject evil in our own lives, which would be hypocrisy. We're to cling to what is good. Uh, and that whole idea there is grabbing hold of and not letting go. Uh, last night I was looking for something to watch uh, just because I was trying to rest as I uh, get ready to go to bed. And I saw this uh, Korean uh, uh, it was like a game show, but for super fit people. And so I just turned it on. I was like, I'll see what this is all about. And uh, it in this game show, they have all these like incredibly fit people. And these people were like bodybuilders and uh, special forces and I, everybody under the sun in Korea. And for me, actually, what I liked most was the way they dubbed the, the English because it kept making me laugh. Uh, but... <laughs> But uh, anyway, the the first game was to uh, everybody to grab onto this. It was like a giant jungle gym, and they lifted it off the floor, and then they opened up the floor, and there was a pool below, and the whole goal was how long can you hang on, right? And and there was this special forces drill instructor who actually ended up beating a gymnast and winning, and uh, you saw the way he was clinging, Hanging on. He wasn't going to let go for anything. There's just no way he would let go. And, of course, as soon as his opponent finally dropped into the pool, he released and let go because he was done. He won. And uh, there's that idea of just clinging, holding on, not letting go. I I won't let go of this. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Uh, And you could even say uh, the, the idea of a genuineness affection. To one another. This is what should mark us in the church, really, truly being affectionate toward each other. We should care for each other. The church should look different than the world. In the world, uh, we can have coworkers and things that are affectionate toward, toward one another, right? I mean, in a good way, uh, that they care for one another and they uh, look after each other. I've seen that in the secular world where coworkers uh, are good, they, they are good to each other and they care for each other. It should be even more so in the church, even more so in the church. If the unbeliever can do that, certainly in the church, those who have been given the Holy Spirit and equipped should do so all the more. In honor, giving preference to one another. Well, there it is. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but give preference to the other. Lift the other up. That this would solve all the problems that we get into in uh, little spats or disputes with one another in the church when somebody steps on each other's toes by accident, figuratively speaking, or uh, gets in the way two brothers working in ministry together and they, they have a conflict, this is where it give honor, giving preference to one another. Bear with each other, and we'll see that later on in Romans 15. For, forgive one another, bear with Just be forgiving. Give preference to the other. You don't always have to be right in the church. You don't always have to win. 
That's the old way of life. The new way of life is humble and honoring one another. I think if you remember Jesus on the night uh, of the Last Supper, the night before his crucifixion where he humbled himself and went to a cross, he humbled himself that night and washed feet, if you remember. And then he commanded that we might wash the feet, that the apostles would wash feet. Do this likewise. Well, isn't that interesting that we don't wash feet all the time in the church? That we don't, that everybody coming in, we're not washing feet? The idea there is the attitude of humility, the attitude of serving. That's what we're taking on. Uh, Jesus wasn't trying to get you to set up basins with water and make sure everybody had super clean toes coming into church. The idea was that we would serve one another with love, caring for and, uh, and ministering to each other and watching each other in the word. And so uh, <clears throat> giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence. I love that. Uh, don't, don't make excuses for diligence. Fervent in spirit. Uh, that, uh, that is just be fervent in your devotion. And notice this, serving the Lord. That's who you're serving. Rejoicing in hope. Uh, our hope is what brings us into worship. That uh, hope is what spurs us toward worship. Hope is what makes us uh, love one another. It's that hope in Christ. Patient in tribulation. Now, I like that. Consider this, as we're talking about serving one another, loving each other, uh, then he says patient in tribulation. Have you ever uh, been dealing with tribulation and you're short with loved ones? Anybody ever experienced that? And, and the reason for your shortness is they should have known better. Or I just can't love them right now too. I'm dealing with my own problems. Right? And so let this convict you, brothers and sisters... Actually, better yet, let it encourage you that when you are dealing with tribulation, all the more you show patience with one another. You love each other, even in your tribulation, patient in tribulation. Um, because, listen, friends, life will be full of tribulation. It tri trials and troubles, it just, it's going to continue. Now, when we're young, we deal with the tribulations of life like, like uh, you're, you're going to, uh, it's like a great valley you've just dropped into from a high peak, and, and then now you're going up a high peak, and it seems like these giant dips and valleys and peaks, and oh, and, and you feel like you're on this emotional roller coaster of pain uh, when you're younger, but as you get older and you walk with Christ, things start to level out a little bit. And you just start realizing that as I walk with Christ, these just become some rolling hills. You don't have the great peaks and you don't have the great valleys because you've learned to just walk with Christ and be patient in your affliction, your tribulation, your affliction. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Oh, doesn't that center us as we try to live out this, this uh, love with one another? Uh, we seek the Lord. And we seek his will in our lives and not our own. We submit ourselves to him. 
distributing to the needs of the saints, to caring for one another, given to hospitality. Now, the idea here of giving to hospitality is showing kindness and hospitality, opening up your home to the stranger. Okay, that's the idea here. Now, it doesn't mean you have to turn into your household into a hostel, but the idea is that you're hospitable toward the believers, toward those in need, that you're not, you're not withholding, but you're showing kindness. Now, the early church, uh, they became known for this, actually, and uh, there was a, a comedian in Rome who part of his act was talking about these Christians, these Christianis, who... Uh, Man, they love to, to care for people, and, and if you go around, you can stay at their place for free and eat with them for free, but if you stay too long, they're going to tell you to get a job, so you've got to move on to the next one. That was part of his comedic act in, act in ancient Rome. The Christians already, had already gained a name for hospitality, but of course there were boundaries on the hospitality, as Paul instructs, let every man work or he doesn't eat, but... Uh, but just that idea that we should be given to hospitality, it's the mark of the church. And as we do these things, we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We're doing it unto him. So verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So as we get into 14 through 16, we see that uh, there's the call to forgive and love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. This comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, but notice the reiteration, bless and do not curse. The temptation is to curse. Uh, that would be what the natural man would do. Uh, to someone who's persecuting us, to, i got to fight for me. I've got to defend my life. That's a life that's not given over to Jesus Christ. That's a life that still wants to be engaged as the Lord of their life. And not for the Christian. The Christian is different. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And, of course, this is, uh, I often say that this for me is the minister's life. Uh, and sometimes I look at it a little strange. I uh, recently I had both a memorial service and a wedding in the same day. And uh, in the morning I was weeping with those who weep. And in the evening I was celebrating and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And I, uh, that day I remember just thinking that, that, uh, that it's so strange. You know, you want to be comforting in the memorial and rejoicing in the wedding, but you're, and this is part of the Christian life, that we minister to one another in the stage of life. If somebody has something good happen, they got the job, they're, 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 God has blessed them in some way, we rejoice with them. We're excited. We're also not saying, well, good for you, I didn't get anything. <laughs> you know, it's not the Christian way. Christian way is to rejoice. Praise God for that. That's amazing. Praise God for your marriage. Praise God for your baby. And meanwhile, you might go to the next hospital room and you're weeping with someone who just lost their baby. And you mourn with them and you grieve with them and you meet them right there in their affliction. That is the Christian life. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. 
but associate with the humble. So high things is speaking about don't don't be so you don't associate with the lowly, right? You set yourself up above. I'm not going to associate with the lowly. Rather, what we saw of Christ is Christ was leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember, Bartimaeus was blind. He was the son of Timaeus, the scriptures tell us. And he heard that Jesus was coming through. And that's what made him cry out. And, of course, as Bartimaeus cried out, the crowd said, be silent. Someone's told the story, I think. Maybe you should tell it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Be quiet. The master's coming. You Just shut up, Bartimaeus. But we read in the text that he cried out all the more. And what I love so much about that story of blind Bartimaeus is it said, and Jesus stopped. I love that. Jesus stopped right there. He just stopped. And, and he said, call him over. And then, of course, the crowd kind of changes. Maybe it was the same people. Maybe it's different. But say, hey, the master is calling you. Come on over. <laughs> and Bartimaeus goes to him and, and Jesus says, what, can I, what, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus say, my eyes don't work. I need to be healed. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Be healed. And, uh, of course, I'm summarizing it. Melinda right now in her head is telling the whole story. But I purposely was not trying to tell a story. Uh, But the idea there is that Jesus saw the lowly and ministered to the lowly. He never stayed away from the lowly. He actually always went to the lowly. And every time someone tried to keep the lowly from Jesus, Jesus corrected them. Uh, Jesus corrected them when they tried to prevent children from coming to him. And he said, let the children come unto me. Uh, Jesus always corrected people who tried to keep the lowly from him. Uh, Jesus sat at a well where a Samaritan woman was coming to draw water, even though Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Every single time. So do not set your mind on high things, Christians. Be like Jesus. Associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I love that. Oftentimes in our own opinion, we're like, oh, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the bee's knees. I'm, I'm the cat's meow. I, uh, I am a really, really lofty person. It, <laughs> Jesus says, don't be wise in your own opinion. Or Paul says that. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Let me just talk about this for a minute. The word regard, uh, this verb uh, in the Greek, it means to give careful thought. So the idea here is that you give careful thought before you respond. So repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things. Give careful thought to your response that it might be good and favorable toward the gospel versus unfavorable toward the gospel. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've overreacted or reacted poorly, and then people find out you're a Christian, and you're just embarrassed at that point. But the idea here is that you as the believer are going to repay no one evil for evil. You're going to think about your reactions, your responses in the sight of all men, and that it might be good, the things that you react to. 
And this includes, I know in our culture it's really popular to get your way, right? When, when, when a server brings you the wrong dish or when someone has not given you the right thing, we go from zero to ten right away and say, I demand it, right? I will not put up with it. I want to see a manager. And we treat people like garbage uh, because uh, those who are lowly. And here the scriptures are telling us, no, no, you've got to think very carefully about how you act, uh, that, that you might regard good things because you represent the gospel. Um, and so uh, Paul writes that, that if, if, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If possible, as much as it depends upon you. Um, when someone offends us, we continue doing good. We don't use it as an excuse to repay evil for evil. And as much as it depends upon us, Paul here lives in reality. He recognizes that certain people are going to just continue to do evil. So he's, as much as it depends upon you, you be at peace with people. You do your best to be at peace. That's the Christian way. Uh, not to start up fights or, or uh, hit first. That's not, not uh, what God has called us to as Christians. We're, we're to be loving and peaceable people, not repaying. So verse 19, beloved, do not avenge. Oh, I ran out of time. That is a tricky one. All right, we're going to do it quick. All right. Are you guys cool if I do it quick? Are we good? Are we good? Everybody still good or are you falling asleep? All right, here we go. All right. If you're falling asleep, it's okay. But just wake up. All right. Verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give peace to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. And, of course, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be, shall be called the sons of God. Paul, as he's ending this chapter, of course, Paul didn't have chapter marks. But as this chapter is coming to a close, um, he teaches us about the idea that the Lord is in charge of our future, not us. And so we are not to go seek out and avenge ourselves. Uh, rather, we're to give that over to the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so we might say, well, uh, but God, they've done this great evil. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't want them to turn and have salvation. Well, that's not at all accurate or good. Uh, certainly we want salvation for all, just like that's the heart of Christ. But more than that, we are not to take wrath into our own hands. We are to give it over to the Lord. And so verse 20 is actually a quote from Proverbs. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Um, and so uh, the idea here is when, uh, when our enemy does something, we respond in love and kindness. That's what Christians do. And I know sometimes we think, well, I'll respond in love and kindness, but they didn't change. They're still doing evil. Okay, that's, yeah, respond, respond in love and kindness. Now, it doesn't mean stay in an abusive situation. 
It doesn't, it doesn't mean that put your life in danger, obviously. And certainly it's not speaking about countries and warfare and all those things. That's not what this is speaking about. It's speaking about the individual. We'll get to, to the other next week. But the idea here is that you are going to show love in response to an enemy. And so in Proverbs... Uh, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. And uh, it's tough to know where this idea of heaping coals of fire on his head comes from. And, of course, the natural idea here is as we think about coals of fire on someone's head, we're like, oh, yeah, get him, Lord. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's not at all the intent. Uh, in context here, we see that heaping coals of fire goes with giving bread and giving someone who's thirsty water, caring for somebody. And, of course, as a result, the Lord will reward us for doing what, what's good. And so, uh, so the idea here of heaping coals very well could be when uh, this concept of when your neighbor's fire goes out and he comes to you and asks for coals to relight his fire. We don't know for sure, but it certainly sounds good. Uh, as far as how it goes with the text. But notice what it says in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Dear friends, you and I will reign with Christ in the millennial reign. That's what the Bible, Jesus has set apart for us. Now is the time that we start learning how to do this. We're not to overcome evil, uh, be overcome by evil. We're not to give in, but we're to overcome evil with Good. All right. We're going to close. Um, I got to close in prayer. We're at 620. Um, and uh, so there's a lot to think about and pray about. Uh, here's what I want to encourage you to do uh, this evening. Go home, reread this. Tomorrow morning, reread it. And just consider these things that uh, Paul's talked about. Because it's a long list of, of things that he's given us here tonight to think about how we live uh, out in this world and in this life. Um, so let's pray. Lord God, Father, we thank you for this time together. And, oh, Lord, forgive us for our anger, the times when we think we need to defend ourselves. Lord, forgive us when we haven't been humble and we've lifted ourselves up. Forgive us, Lord, for when we've been lofty and thought of ourselves really wise, but we're truly fools. Lord, forgive us for not using our, the gifts that you've given us appropriately to minister to your congregation and your people. Lord, we want to be good stewards of every bit of grace that you've given to us. So God, we ask, Lord, that now that you might teach us, Lord, that you might forgive us, that, that God, as we go forth from here, we may consider these things, and Lord, it might bring about change in our lives. We want to be transformed transformed into your image. And so, Lord, do that with this congregation. Transform us. May we glorify you. May we bring uh, honor to your name. And, Lord, may, may the world around us see that uh, the gospel is good. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've, I've lost count of how many times I've been to Uganda over the last uh, few years as we do ministries and uh, share the gospel, but I will say this, that whenever people talk to me about traveling to Uganda, I'm like, oh, it's, it's a, a really safe place. I mean, as safe as any place is in the world, you've got to be with the Lord, but, but uh, there's a reason for that, and that was the gifts of Alexander McKay, that Scotsman missionary.
it's written, slave raiding and slave trading have been abolished. Innocent people are no longer butchered to appease the gods. And the torture and burning of human beings to satisfy a mad king's lust for blood has ceased forever in Uganda. In Uganda. All of it was the fruit of McKay going there to open up a road for the gospel. Use your gifts mightily. He was an engineer, but he knew that God was going to use him. Use your gifts to glorify the Lord. May God bless you. May he fill you with his peace and comfort you. In Jesus' name, amen.